Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. My mother, the best we can tell, had a sixth grade education from a rural area in Kentucky, and she ran her own successful business for 43 years. And I challenge our players at Bellarmine every day. I said, she did that with a sixth grade education in a one-room schoolhouse. Then, then the, there's no there's no limit to what you can do. The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield IMG College and is brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now your host, Coach Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's a special day. Been doing this now for a year and a half, and we have never had a coach who is coaching presently a Division II program. We're starting at the top. We've got Scott Davenport, the head basketball coach at Bellarmine University. They are presently the number one Division II basketball program in the country. There is another team just up the road from them, Northwest uh, Missouri State. I don't guess you guys are going to play each other, uh, Scott. I'd like to arrange that. Though. That'll be interesting. They well, have a phenomenal program. They play very similar style to the way we play, and it, it is it's very humbling to be mentioned with him, no doubt about it. Scott, let's talk about um, your early life growing up in Louisville. Uh, you're one of those co- – you know, we, we talk to coaches every week, and most of the coaches, they move about every three years. And, and a lot of times they are moving from one geographical location uh, maybe uh, all the way across the country. I look at yours, and you, you've never been very far away from Louisville. I mean, you grew up. Uh, about three miles from Churchill Downs and uh, the fairgrounds and Freedom Hall and, you know, all the great things that the, the, the marks that uh, people talk about in Louisville. You know, you, you were very fortunate in that regard. I grew up on Central Avenue, the same street coach as Churchill Downs and roughly four blocks from both Churchill Downs and Freedom Hall and the University of Louisville. So I grew up in the South End, which is kind of a, a blue-collar area of, of the city of Louisville, and, and I'm very, very proud of that. I grew up, I lost my mother, my, excuse me, I lost my father when I was nine years old on Halloween day at 1.15 in the afternoon, and, and my mother, the best we can tell, had a sixth-grade education from a rural area in Kentucky, and she ran her own successful business for 43 years. And I challenge our players at Bellarmine every day. I said, you're getting a a phenomenal, one of the best educations in the country, and you got that opportunity. And she she did that with a sixth-grade education in a one-room schoolhouse. Then then there's no no limit to what you can do. But but I'm proud of where I I grew up and and the way I grew up. And, you know, and I – you mentioned I haven't left. Well, I coached at VCU under Mike Polio, and that was tremendous. I coached with Eddie Webb and Tubby Smith, and I were assistant coaches. But I, I'm the luckiest man, and I know on behalf of the NABC, we represent coaches at all levels. I'm the luckiest of all of them. I'm the luckiest. Now, everybody will argue with me, but I'm the luckiest. Well, uh, you know, I look at uh, your bio, and, you know, you uh... – you had some important people in your life early on. I mean, I was reading, uh, uh, I was reading a, little, a little article about it, and it maybe the first mentor outside of your father and your mother, outside the home, uh, was your junior high coach, Coach Vernon Wool. 
Uh, tell us about him and the influence that he had in, in the many well, ways on you. He was a he was the most precise, meticulous teacher in the school day in the whole building. He dressed as a professional. He acted as a professional. He cared about young people, and it didn't stop after school when basketball started. So that that was the first organized team I ever played on in my life, and. and I'll never forget making the eighth, the ninth grade team as an eighth grader, which was a great honor. And we had to wear a tie to the game, the day of the game. We had to wear a tie to school. And everybody gathered together in Coach Wolf's room, and he'd help everybody tie their ties. He taught everything. <laughs> and I said right then, I said, this is amazing. Ended up his first son or his first uh, child was born, and he named him Scotty. Wow. And you know, Coach Wolf passed away, and I played in high school for a gentleman named Al Pepper. Al Pepper was the greatest history teacher in the in, at school at Air Corps. So what's what's the common thread here? You're going to be a teacher. My high school coach passed away last spring. Passed away last spring. Hmm. And all he did was give. And upon retiring from teaching and coaching high school, he calls me. He said, he said Scotty, I need help. I'm doing clothing drives for needy kids in a, in a tough area of Louisville. And I need some shoes. I need big sizes. So we took all our players' shoes that, as they were done with them, and I gave him shoes. Then it went to Bellarmine's women's team. Then it went to L's women's team, L men's team. And we're next thing, no, we're, we're helping these kids get shoes. My high school coach passed away. And instead of flyers at, at the visitation he requested everybody to bring shoes for kids wow and they were coming in four and five pair at a time and on this there was a saturday i was a pallbearer on monday there was an elementary school here in louisville and they took them 235 pair of shoes brand new in boxes those kids went to school that day without shoes of quality and went home with a brand new pair because of my high school coach who never even knew who got them. Man. So, so coaches have shaped my life. No different at the University of Louisville with Bill Olson and Jerry Jones. I mean, they've shaped my life. And, and I will, to the day I take my last breath, I will be appreciative. You, uh, you, uh, as you left your junior high, you went to Iroquois High School. You already That's mentioned it. your high school coach yeah. there, uh, but there was a little bit of a, you, you weren't exactly supposed to go to Iroquois. Your mom maybe uh, oh, wow. rented, a, rented an apartment, and here we go. Boy, you have done research. You're I have. You an A-plus on this. You got a fascinating <laughs> career. Yeah, they had redistricted, and my sister had gone to Iroquois. It was, a, it was a brand new school, and she said, I want him going to school in our area. This is So she rented an apartment for three months and paid the rent so I could go to Iroquois to play. And, and you know, that was the, some of the greatest years of my life. I loved school. Like, I never wanted to miss or cut school because I was afraid I'd miss something. And I'll never forget, when I left Iroquois and I went to the University of Louisville, First semester, I was going to be a pharmacist. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a pharmacist. And I think there's a plaque. I think there's a plaque in the Natural Science Building, Room 101, the big auditorium, lecture auditorium at U of L. 
And I think it says here sits the worst pharmacist, the worst chemistry student in the history of the school. I think I got <laughs> my name on a black. And then I said, who are you kidding? You're going to be a teacher and a basketball coach. And that was it. That was it. I, and, and it's because I, I, I've held the teachers and coaches that influenced my life in such, such high esteem. I mean, I, they were superstars in my mind. I, uh, I was also reading about, um, uh, you know, one of the things that you, you enjoyed most about coaching um, and athletics and basketball. And, you know, I'm all for, you know, I've, I've been finished coaching now for 10 years. And, you know, from time to time, people call me and say, well, you miss most about it. I said, well, it's two or three things. And one thing that I mentioned always surprises them. And I saw it pop up in your bio the other day. It said, the thing you enjoy most uh, or one of the things that you enjoy most is the locker room. You enjoy hanging out in the locker room after practice, after games, talking to your staff, and in my case, talking to the uh, – I used to enjoy talking to the equipment people as they came in and they got their dirty coaches' uniforms and they're going to wash them and bring back in towels. And I don't know, I enjoyed talking to them. And I was always the last guy to leave. Something special about that, Scott. You know, Coach Oldham, I guess because of my, my humble upbringing, I, I just I appreciate all of them. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, now here you asked me this question. Yesterday, we're in the office all day on Sunday, recapping the week, planning the next week. We're in there all day. We, 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 we have five student managers. They are tremendous. Well, we've kind of, they kind of self-named themselves the BMA, the Bellarmine Managers Association. So we, they, they got their own organization. Well, they formed their own intramural team, and they were playing at 3 o'clock yesterday. And I told the assistants, let's go over there and surprise them. Let's go watch them. So we go over and watch the intramural facility. And there they are playing. And here we come watching them. Four of our freshmen, and then the rest of our team, they had to play back-to-back games, came. And there's all our guys watching the managers play. <laughs> I mean, there they are out there trying to – and, you know, they're trying to do what our players do – in an intramural setting, you know, they all played in high school, so they're pretty good players. And it, it was, it, I, I think those relationships is why you coach. And, and you speak to it in a tremendous fashion. There, there's those emotional paychecks that you get in that locker room, you cash a lifetime, not not at a bank either. And I, and I, I, I do love that part of it. I really do. I, um, you know, I can only imagine. I, I had a when I started coaching, I was at Durham, Durham, North Carolina, Durham High School, which was one of the great high schools in the state of North Carolina. Not because of me, it was just just where it was located. And um, you know, one of the things that I would do is on Saturday morning we'd practice at nine o'clock, and it would go till maybe twelve. I mean, we'd practice three hours. I didn't want to leave, but uh, about. Um, Ten minutes away from me over at Duke Indoor Stadium, Duke was getting ready to entertain uh, uh, North Carolina or Wake Forest or North Carolina State at 1 o'clock. And so I would, I'd get in my car and I would drive across Durham and I'd work my way in to right behind Duke Indoor Stadium. And I would meet the Pepsi-Cola guy, Bottler there. He was stocking the – he was. <laughs> He was stocking Duke Indoor Stadium with Pepsi-Cola, and he'd slip me in that back door, and I was the high school coach. Now, I'm guessing 
that you were a Louisville fan. You grew up right at, right outside of Louisville's uh, campus, and I'm betting you didn't miss a game in Freedom Hall, but I'm also betting you didn't pay a nickel to get in. This is the – okay, here it is. Now, we're buried my soul. One of my best friends, Larry Bishop, his father, a lot of people in our end of town had two jobs because just to make ends meet. They had a second job. His dad's second job was to be, he filled all the concession stands in Freedom Hall with ice. Back then, there wasn't these big elaborate ice machines. He took them on a flatbed, drove them around, filled them up, and then you had to clean them up afterwards. The rule in our household, my mom said, if your homework's done, you can go with Larry Bishop and his dad. And he had to get there, you know, three hours before the game to stock all the concessions. So I got to sneak in. I'm exactly like you. And then we got to stay late. <laughs> to this day, I can put my hands on it. It's in a storage bin. It's per- I have game programs. I have Wade Houston. No, not Allen Houston, who I coach later. I have Wade Houston's autograph. I have Wes Uncle's autograph, Butch Beard's. Mike Gross, so I have all the Louisville Grace autographs because I've got to go in with a guy that filled the concession. That is a fade that you would bring up that you snuck into Cameron. <laughs> well, I did sneak into Freedom Ball, and it was it was U of L game, it was Kentucky Colonel game. I snuck in when Kentucky would play the traditional when they played Notre Dame in Freedom Hall, you know, oh, during yeah. the Christmas time. And I could sneak in to watch them practice. Oh, I was pretty good at that. So he lived right down the street. <laughs> wow. Well, I've never been asked that in my life. That's great. Well, I, I remembered I did it for seven years, so I know how to do it. I could go right back and probably walk right in that same thing. Nobody would recognize me. It'd be, uh, yeah, it'd be like uh, days gone by. It sure would. Um, pickup basketball at lunchtime was important to you. And, uh, one one uh, day you're out there, and I remember Coach Jerry Jones. He was one of the great recruiters in U of L, uh, in all of uh, college basketball. Matter of fact, uh, when he walked in the living room, uh, a lot of coaches left because he was he was so good at what he was doing. And uh, Bill Olson also. These two guys um, kind of you know guided you and and maybe encouraged you to. Uh, become a walk-on at uh, UofL? Well, here's how it happened. And, and first of all, Coach, I'm going to regress or digress for one second. Last uh, Thursday was Coach Jones's 85th birthday. And for the last 10 years, I named him Coach Emeritus at Bellarmine. And he sits in the very first seat on the press table next to our bench. And he comes to practice. And, and our players uh, they go over and they acknowledge Coach Jones, and, and he's part of our program. But what happened at noontime basketball in Louisville? They, the faculty play pickup games. If Daryl Griffith or Wes Unsel, all the great players, if they wanted to shoot at noon, they wasn't playing. The faculty played from twelve to one. Nobody played. So one day I'm just hanging out in the gym because I'm a gym rat. I didn't have anywhere to go. I played in high school and. A teacher, a faculty member, a professor had to go give a test and said, son, there's two courts side by side. I said, son, we need somebody else to finish this game. Do you want to play? I have high top Chuck Taylors, tennis shoes. I've got blue jeans and a sweatshirt. Take the sweatshirt off and jump in the game to finish. And we're finished. And Coach Olson said, son, what's your name? And I explained it. And he says, son, 
why don't you ought to walk on our JV team? I said, well, how do I do that? You go see Coach Jones. And that, that moment, that one moment, I was at U of L. I wasn't a partier. I didn't drink. I wasn't a fraternity guy. That one moment shaped the rest of my life because I belonged to something. And I, and, and then next thing you know, I'm helping them in the office. And then I'm a GA and I'm helping them recruiting. I, just a walk on JV play. So much so, Coach Olson's son, I coached in high school. His name's Doug Olson. He, he's named after Doug Newman, who was a dentist that played for Coach Olson in high school. Well, long story short, my son's name is Doug. Hmm. And that's named after Doug Olson, who played for me because he was named after a doctor who played for Coach Olson. So it's the third generation of Dougs. But th- those gentlemen, and working camp in the summer and maintaining the dorm. There's, there's no words to describe what Coach Olson and, and what Coach Jones did in, in for my life. I would not be standing here talking to Coach Oldham right now without Coach Olson and Coach Jones. No way. Scott, uh, you've, you've had the privilege uh, to serve under two of the great coaches of all time at U of L. Um, Denny Crum. Denny Crum came from. UCLA. I still remember when he when he got to, to Louisville, and he and I was an assistant uh, shortly thereafter at uh, University of Virginia, and we used to play Louisville every right. year. I mean, you had the McCrays and all that crowd, and we had Sampson, and I remember the Sunday afternoon games, and you know we were one, and you were two, or you were one, and Absolutely. we were two, and I mean it was uh, they were unbelievable games. I mean they really were. And then, of course, uh, uh, Rick Patino comes in there uh, behind Coach Crum. You had um, you had the opportunity to serve under both of them. Talk to us a little bit about um, what each uh, each coach represented, how he um, handled his his business, and and maybe some of the differences. Well, the the great thing is this is why another level of I'm the luckiest coach ever that's ever coached this game any level, pro, college, high school, uh, male, female, I'm the luckiest. I don't care what the sport, I'm the luckiest. Coach Crum and Coach Patino, first of all, I'm fortunate enough to get hired by Coach Crum and then retained by Coach Patino, in which he had never kept a coach from a previous staff. I'll never forget, we were having a group of individual instructions just like I'm doing right now. And He'd been there for two weeks, and I'd been maintaining, maintaining, maintaining my, my duties. And he comes in one morning. We're going to work them out at 7 o'clock, and it's about 6.30, and I've already got the players on the court. And he said, Scotty, step in the coach's locker room. Well, Coach, you, you know what's getting ready to come next. It, you know, this is it. You're, you're done. And he said, I've never coached, kept a coach from a previous staff. I said, yes, sir, I'm aware of that. And he said, you're aware of that? I said, Coach, you coach at Kentucky. I coach at Louisville. I know everything about you. I said, I, I read your books. I've listened to everything. I said, you're the, the, the bitter rival. I know everything. He started laughing. He goes, well, I'm going to keep you. And, and they were so great because they both it, – it, it taught me there's more than one way to be successful, and I respect that every day I coach. They both taught the game, and they thought the game should be played the exact same way, the exact same way, fundamentals, pressing on defense. I mean, you played against Coach Crump teams. You know, you saw Coach Patino. But they taught the game exactly the opposite. Coach Crump was a math major, very analytical. 
Coach Patino could coach, you know, like his pants were on fire. But they talked the fundamentals the same. They just did it different. And then you have to be yourself. But those two, you know, and Coach Crum was here at a game two weeks ago. Coach Patino and I, he was in Louisville back in September and came and addressed our team and spent about two hours with our players. And I now speak with him over in Greece. And they're the greatest guys. It's just a mess. Not, not just as vexed as another team. What those two did in this community, they gave millions upon millions upon millions of their own money. They raised money, and neither one of them ever took one ounce of credit for it. Scott, uh, I was looking at the uh, basketball maps, if you will, this morning, uh, early when I was thinking about talking with you. And, you know, it dawned on me, you know, the state of Kentucky – the state of Tennessee, bordering states, just loaded with elite basketball programs um, at the college level, now at university level. Now, that trickles down to the high schools because you can't have the kind of collegiate programs. you got Tennessee in, in, is number one in the country right now, and you guys are number one in the country at Division Two right now. So, you know, it, it, it's proof positive. There's a lot of basketball, a lot of good basketball in those two states. I look at uh, a little deeper, uh, the state of Kentucky, um, you, you know, you've got horse racing, you've got whiskey, and you've got basketball. I don't know which one is the most uh, important. Maybe it's, uh, maybe, maybe whiskey because it cuts across all, all, all year long, uh, and the horse is kind of you know, when the Churchill Downs opens and you got the Kentucky Derby and basketball during the seasons, I, I don't know. But there are other programs. You got Kentucky Wesleyan that won a national championship years right. ago with Jeff Jones's father uh, as the coach back in those days. And you got uh, right on the eastern, southeastern part of uh, Kentucky, you got Lincoln Memorial. Now, my son was a Division II coach for one year at Lenore Run. And he played uh, Lincoln Memorial three times in one year. I mean, those, he uh, Lincoln Memorial had men uh, masquerading as college students playing. I mean, they were really, really good. And and now we got Bellarmine, who is also number one in the country. What's going on in those two states right now, Tennessee and Kentucky? You putting out so many good players and so many good teams. Well, I I think basketball is so revered here, and it. The greatest teacher, you know, experience is always the greatest teacher. And when you look back and really study it, you know, from Coach Rupp to a Peck Hickman at Louisville and John Dromos and Joe Hall and Denny Crumbs, it, it, it infiltrates all the high schools. And, and it's right now, it's, it's tough to do because there's so many other opportunities to do for young people to do other things. And, and right now is a crucial time. We got to get them back in these gyms. We got to get them back in these gyms where they can learn the opportunity to use basketball. You know, think of this, Coach Oldham. This is an this is a wow moment. So when I brought our freshmen on campus this summer, sitting there meeting with them, talking to them, and they're going to work pat, right up right around the year twenty sixty five. Think of that. Uh. They're going to work probably past 2065. That's mind-boggling. 
It is. Mm. So what, what, how can it help? Okay. The discipline, the passion, the attention to detail that basketball teaches can help them for the next 40, 45 years of their life. So we've got to get these people in that high school level, in the college level. And, and here it's embraced. I mean, it, it's round the clock attention here. But it's a, it's a time where we gotta, we got to get them going at the early age. I quit doing ribbons. I quit doing trophies. I quit doing medals in basketball camp. I quit doing it. We still compete, and we acknowledge winners. We got certificates. We, we have winners. I give them a basketball. Everybody gets a ball. Every, we do almost 1,100 campers the old-time way. Monday through Friday, 830 to 4, stations. We teach. Our players teach. They coach. I give them a basketball, and I say, go wear it out. I'll give you another. And we've got them all stored in a room, and, like, I may get a call today. Coach, you know, little little Dave, he's worn that ball out. I said, get over here, and I'm going to hand you another one, and we hand him another one. The funny thing is a lot of times they'll bring me their old balls, and they're muddy and dirty. I'm like, I don't want your old ball. Just come get a new one. But uh, we, there's so many tough decisions for a young person today. But let's get them thinking basketball. Life's lessons, it, it really is. Division two, you know, you hear a lot about the balance between academics and athletics. What does that look like in the Bellarmine program? Well, we've never had a semester. We just finished my 27th semester. We've never had a semester under a 3 out. And it's a tremendous academic school. We've graduated 46 of 48. We've had, we've got, I got two starting guards right now are in graduate school. One had to take a medical red shirt last year with a, a, a shoulder surgery, and he had ulcerative colitis, uh, an internal uh, disease. I, I'm watching him work out right now. i got two players that are in graduate school. We, we don't introduce them as seniors because that would be a lie. We introduce them as graduate students, and they, are, they will have their master's in business administration next December. Next December. So, so we – why can't – and you mentioned it. Well, it's, it's development, so it's Division two. Why can't you do both at every level? I, I don't understand that. The, the number who's going to play professionally, not, not maybe overseas, but, but in the NBA, is such a minuscule number. It's only 360 NBA players in the world. So if you add up all the players, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, I mean, your odds are you have no chance of making so why can't you do both? I, I, I just maybe that's an old-fashioned way, but I know this: we we take great pride in it because I want them to use basketball. I never want anybody to say that they came here and they were used. I want them to use basketball. Got two or three things before we close this out, and this has been great. You got your son Scott on your staff. Um, they tell me he's going to be the next great coach. I know you want him to be better than you are. I know you do. What's it like being uh, your son's boss in kind of a professional setting? And is that something you'd recommend for other coaches to, to look at? I would. Doug came to Bellarmine, played in our basketball program. I set him down at the end of his, in the middle of his senior year. And I said, Doug, what, what are you thinking? What's your plan? And he said, Dad, he said, you know, he made seven beats his entire life at Bellarmine. When I was in college, I hoped I could make seven. He's only made seven. 
And I said, Doug, you got some great opportunities. Wall Street, you can law school. You know, what, what's your plan? And he said, Dad, I'm going to be a basketball coach. That's, that's, I want to be a basketball coach. He was very fortunate. Upon graduating here, he spent two years under Chris Mack at Xavier, got his master's degree. Then he took a job, and, and you mentioned about me moving. He took a job with Pat Kelsey, a great young coach at Winthrop. He moved from Cincinnati to Rock Hill, South Carolina, on a Thursday. Coach Patino called me on a Monday and said, Scotty, I've messed up. I've, my, I've got to have Doug do my video. He moved back on Thursday. He moved to Louisville. He moved three times in eight days from Cincinnati, Rock Hill, South Carolina, back to Louisville, spent three years under Coach Patino, just he and Coach Patino doing their film. Then he went to Eastern Kentucky. We had an opening development. He's back here. Uh, he lives literally three-eighths of a mile from, from our front door of our gym. He lives in this gym, and, and he's newly married. And I got he and Bo Brading. I was on a staff with Mick Cronin and Kevin Willard at Louisville. That was a phenomenal staff. When Coach Patino first came back, it was me, Mick Cronin, Kevin Willard. And when I look at Doug and Bo, they are that good. They are that good. And they relate to players. They recruit endlessly. They recruit the right guys. And they're everything that's like in these young coaches. So it's an honor. I would encourage everybody to do it. But, but it's a it's a, it's a it's a thrill to have these guys be around. We work well together. Uh, they're great with the players. It, it's 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 amazing. You know, I I've got my older son Russ just had a grandchild. The first one, she's four months old. I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Life I, is I, good. So many. I am. I'm the luckiest person to ever coach. I am. Um, I, I believe it. La- last thing. Uh, the game of basketball professions changed a lot in the last couple, two or three years, and some of it's on the court, some of it's off the court. Um, how does things like the transfer rules and, and the number of transfers that are going on in, in Division One basketball, how does that trickle down and affect Division Two? And how do you see that evolving over the next, uh, let's say, uh, five to eight years? I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm a player's advocate, but by the same token, uh, you know, and they can go from Division One to Division Two currently without having to sit out. So, yes, that does happen. But when you get seven to 850 Division One transfers, I would love to commission someone to do a study that how many of those Division One transfers attended multiple high schools or played on multiple AAU programs. Because it's becoming the norm instead of an exception. And I think we've got to do a better job of evaluating them and a better job of, of understanding that you've got to work. This is, this, it never ends. You're not going to quit learning. So you've got to take these steps. I've got two freshmen that we redshirted that are great young men. And they're both redshirting because they want to leave here with their MBA. And they were in here this morning at seven o'clock prior to their individual instruction, getting a lift. And we're, we're, you taping this at nine o'clock. That's before they had to go to work. So this, this, we've got to get back where if something doesn't go right, I'm just, I'm leaving. Now I know things do happen. Some people have family emergencies. Some people have issues. I understand that. But seven to eight to eight hundred and fifty transfers a year when there's only three hundred and fifty three Division One programs. Do the math. You know, and I know coaches change. I understand that. 
We all got to do better. I'm not putting it all on the players. We all have to do better. And it's tough in Division Two, but you know, I know I think our pool that we recruit from is very small because of our demands academically, athletically, and social. But I am proud of each and every young man who comes in these doors. Doesn't always work. It doesn't. I get that. But uh, we could talk hours about this issue. This is tough. This is tough. I know. I know. I for one would love uh, to extend this time, but time's kind of our enemy right now when uh, the clock uh, says we got to bring this to a halt. But I want to tell you, this this has been one of the more fascinating thirty minutes uh, for this uh, Guardians of the Game that we're doing. Uh, you know, hearing your viewpoints on thing and your opinions and talking about your your life has been uh, just absolutely fascinating from my standpoint. And I want to thank thank you on behalf of those that. Uh, sat through this uh, last 30 minutes and the podcast that we do and the guardians of the game uh, for the NABC. The NABC is working hard uh, to bring the uh, story of college basketball out and open because it's such a great profession and it can do so many good things for so many good people. So uh, I want to thank our listeners, and I know you do, uh, Scott, for listening and, and uh, participating with us in the last 30 minutes. And um, and certainly, I want to thank you, Scott, for taking your time away from your team. Well, I've got um, one more last wish. Well, go ahead. I just wish, I just wish, and hope and pray that we can develop more coaches like Coach Dave Oldham, because our game will, that we all love will be a lot better. So I want to thank you. Well, you're very, very kind. Matter of fact, you're too kind. <laughs> you guys, no, I'm uh, not. I'm honest. You, you I'm, guys, you ask our players. I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> Tell no, it like it is, buddy. <laughs> Well, we good luck to you and your team, and I, I, I can assure you, you've got uh, some new fans. For anybody that's interested in learning more about the NABC, all you have to do is visit nabc.com and click it on Guardians of Game, and here we go. I'm a 27-year member. 